Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, last year, Daniel Strange from the United Kingdom was invited to speak at an annual gathering of the churches that his own church is connected with. He was actually only given about five minutes to speak, and in those five minutes to speak, he was actually tasked with this question. What will be the main theological issues facing us in the next few years? Uh, Since we just had a turn of the millennium, I periodically read some things on that. Uh, Where is the church headed? Where is culture headed? What are some of the things that we're going to most significantly need to wrestle with in this new millennium and the years ahead? Uh, I actually appreciated his very macro answer to this and his response to it. And I think it kind of frames well where we are. He says in the first millennium, the first millennium, the primary question that the church had to respond to is, who is the person of Jesus? Jesus had come, was born in Bethlehem's manger, was crucified, buried, raised to life, ascended to heaven. And the church wrestled with their theology of Jesus. He's God in flesh. In fact, that was codified so folks would have common understanding. If you read the Gospels, Jesus was clear himself that he came as God. He was God in flesh. Friends, that changed our whole world. That was the first question of the first millennium. The macro question to wrestle with, what are the implications of the fact that Jesus came here as God and dwelt among us? The question of the second millennium was this question. How are we made right with God? A few years ago, we actually celebrated what was called the Reformation. And so in the 14, 15, 1600s of the last millennium, there was a deep wrestling with bringing absolute clarity to the question, how are we made right with God? Is it a combination of our our works and our efforts with God's grace, or is it just God's grace? And so once again, leaders of the church dove into their Bibles, and it was brought to crystal clarity That the way that we're made right with God is through faith in Christ alone. That it's his gift to us. It's not through our self-effort. It's not through our own righteousness. It's not through the record that we have made up for ourselves. But instead, the way that we're made right with God is 100% through faith in the person of Jesus. So the first question Who is Jesus, and what are the implications of the fact that Jesus is God? Second question is, how are we made right with God? Now we're in the third millennium, and generally what's anticipated to be the question of the third millennium, it's pretty early, but the question of the third millennium is probably going to be this. Who are human beings? Who are humans? What makes up a human being? As we dive into issues of 
sexuality and gender identity, as we deal with issues of artificial intelligence, the question that is, we're wrestling with for the third millennium that we're presently living in is this. What does it mean to be human? One writer says this. Actually, David Strange says this. The seismic implications of the questions individually, culturally, and politically, even while still recognizing a Christian afterglow, cannot be understated. We are all feeling these implications in various ways. Given the presenting issues surrounding sexuality, gender, transhumanism, embodiment. What does it mean to have a body? And the underlying worldviews and the focus on self, expressive individualism, social construction, or just what we call human identity. It's kind of the question of the day. The question of the third millennium is, what does it mean to be human? We're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 4 here in just a few minutes. And by the way, kind of, I'm wrestling with possibly diving into the first three chapters of Ephesians in the fall. Kind of keep you updated about that, but a little bit of a rewind. But as I've been looking through Ephesians, like, man, it's such an incredibly powerful book. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says his purpose was to create, this is Jesus, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. The two there referring to Jewish and Gentile people that were very, very opposed to one another in the ancient times when Paul wrote this. Paul says his purpose is to create one new humanity, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, certainly the whole idea of Jewishness and Gentile can be a bit of a lightning rod in our day, but even, even much more so is our own individualism. If there's any point in history, we need to be reconciled to one another through God, reconciled to God. It's this time, this space. Verses 17 and 18 Paul goes on to say, for through him, that is Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. One thing we often remind ourselves of here is simply this. When God brings his salvation to the world, to human beings, he brings his salvation to make us more fully human. Being right with God, belonging to him, does not dehumanize us, does not make us less human beings. It actually enables us to live in to our true humanity of what God created us to be. So being followers of Jesus and having the work of the Holy Spirit in us actually enables us to become more human. God saves us not from our humanness, but actually to our humanness. We often connect to humanity various distortions that we have, but those distortions come from being separated from God. To be human is actually to be incredibly beautiful. Some people, when they make a mistake, simply say, well, I'm just human. Listen, to make a mistake isn't human. human humanness is beautiful. Humanness is being created just a little bit less than God. But humanness has wonderful potential. Humanness is magnificent. 
And so even as we said earlier, on Pentecost, it celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit with the sound of rushing wind. Because even in Genesis 1 and 2, into the human being's nostrils are breathed the breath of life, the wind of God. So human beings were brought into this world by the wind of God, the breath of God. We've become separated from him, and now the Holy Spirit breathes a new life of Christ into us for actually us to become the human beings that God created us to be. We're going to do a little bit of a rewind and then just cover a couple of other points from Ephesians chapter 4. Diana is going to come and read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Uh, You'll hear some of the verses we read last week as well, and uh, we're going to just go through these again. Just a little review while she's getting ready. Up on the screens will be a little slide shot of kind of where Ephesians is in the New Testament. Uh, the Gospels, we have, I think it's going to be up on the screens. Uh, there we go. Uh, so let's say these again. We're trying to kind of lock ourselves in the New Testament. So the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Gospels. Then comes the book of Acts. We'll just say the word Acts. Then it's Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They are all letters written by Paul to various gatherings and groupings of people that he visited. So why don't we say these on the count of three. Let's, we'll just say Acts. We won't say the full of the apostles. When we get to Corinthians, we'll just say Corinthians rather than one and two. So on the count of three, let's go through this again. And then Diana will read Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse seven. One, two, three. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Awesome. Thank you. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature in attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you, Diana. Uh, We're going to look at uh, just fairly quickly through four things of why it's important that we recognize that God gives us personal gifts, what it means to be human, what it means especially to be a follower of Jesus and be a redeemed human is that you actually have gifts to serve Christ's body, his church, and this world so it can be a picture of him. So we're going to look at uh, four things that it's important that we recognize for God giving us personal gifts. Number one, we said last week, using our gifts recognizes God's personal kindness to us. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We said when it says grace has been given, Paul is not talking about saving grace. Saving grace is belonging to God through Christ. It's being rescued from our evil, our darkness, our sin. This is not saving grace. We said last week, this is serving grace. And so believe it or not, God's kindness is directed to you and actually giving you gifts, capacities, and abilities that enable you to serve his people, his body, his church, and this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so as an expression of God's grace, as an expression of God's kindness, you actually have a gift that's given to you, that's designed for you to contribute to what God is doing in our world through his church. It's interesting how this cuts both ways, because my guess is in a room like this and online, probably some of you, or some of us, maybe have a sense of, I'm not really gifted at anything. I'm not good at anything. There's nothing that I can have to contribute. And what Paul would say to this is, no, you're dead wrong. Because God in his sovereignty has given you particularly something to enrich his community of people and to strengthen them. No matter how you feel about yourself, if you tend to beat yourself up, If you tend to see nothing in yourself that's worth giving, if you look at yourself and say, I'm just plain old me with nothing to offer, you're dead wrong. And so the grace of God actually lifts you up and it says, no, you've been given a special gift. There might be some here who say like, yeah, like my gifts are pretty awesome. Like my gifts are really cool. And like, My gifts are so amazing, I only selectively use them because I've got to guard and make sure that like my gifts aren't wasted on ordinary Joe Schmoes. God's grace, listen, this is the way God, God's grace raises up those of you who think that you're nothing and say, yes, you're something because God has given you a gift, but also kind of takes down those who are arrogant And so like, wow, like I am so gifted. And friends, we live in a world where where I think we can see across the broader circles, we see both of those things happening in the modern day church. We see people who never really get involved because maybe they think they have nothing to offer. We also see people, and maybe maybe you're sort of skeptical of Christianity and skeptical of the Bible and even skeptical of church. And maybe one of the reasons for your skepticism is seeing some people who seem pretty haughty and arrogant about the gifts that God has given to them. Maybe it's some popularly known people. You say, yeah, like, They seem more like a celebrity than a servant of God. And I want you to know that if you see that as sort of a, as an outsider perspective, you're actually saying something that Ephesians talks about. That there should be nobody, 
who sees themselves as a celebrity. There should be nobody who sees in and of themselves that they're God's great gift to humanity. No, every single gift that you have been given is a gift from God, every single one. So don't ever fool yourself that you're something great because what you have is a gift of God. One writer was kind of talking about this in the context of what we went over last Sunday about the church kind of being a potluck and we having, having different gifts. Here's what she says. If you are Christ's, you have an indispensable role every gathering, every gathering, meaning this gathering right now. She says, refuse to squeeze church in. We, many of us do that. We kind of like squeeze church into our schedule. She says, refuse to squeeze church in. Refuse to be anonymous. Refuse to bring nothing to the spiritual potluck simply because you are not bringing the main dish. Bring your baked beans. Bring your Sicilian Brussels sprouts, your honey lemon asparagus. You never know how God might use what you bring to satisfy or sustain or even save a soul this Sunday. And we have some people on the stage who, who lead us in worshiping God. They have somewhat visible roles. But just because your role is not that visible, friends, your role is phenomenally important. Whether we bring the baked beans, whether we bring the espresso sprouts, whether we bring the asparagus, whatever you bring, you bring as a gift that God gave to you. And you give to strengthen the body of Christ. So number one. Using our gifts recognizes God's personal kindness to us. And maybe the question I would leave you is, we leave with, with this is, are you diminishing God's personal kindness to you by not fully utilizing and maximizing the gifts that he's given to you? Are you maximizing God's kindness to you and utilizing the gifts that he's given to you to serve and bless others? Secondly, using our gifts undermines our personal autonomy. It undermines our personal autonomy. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received, not to make yourself great, not to satisfy your need to be needed, not to somehow get attention, but you should use whatever gift you have received. Notice again, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You're a faithful steward of the gift that God has given to you. Here's the deal, friends. When we serve, we undermine our personal autonomy and the story of Scripture is that service is so closely connected to the identity and the heart of God that it actually brings joy when we serve. As somebody mentioned to me, this to me last Sunday after the service, I just kind of really loved it. Um, we said that the word, and I'm just going like, to use the transliteration, not the Greek, but the word charis is the word Grace, that's the word grace in the uh, Greek New Testament. We said that the word gifts is charisma. Those are, are gifts. So charis, we said, is grace. Charisma is gifts. And so we said, just highlights again that the gifts that we have flow from the grace of God. And last week was pointed out to me, and I really 
wasn't aware of this. There's another word that's this, kara. And guess what that word means? It means joy. It means joy. And so all three of these words are connected. The word kara in Greek means joy. The word charis, related to kara, means grace, God's kindness. The word charisma means gifts. Friends, that's why there's joy in serving. It's not because... We simply get a fill of ourselves. But as we release ourselves to serve others, as we recognize God's kindness to us in giving us gifts to enrich the lives of others, that by its very nature is close to the heart of God and exactly why we have joy as we serve. Now, here's the deal. To be honest with us, I can pretty much guarantee you that if you serve, There's going to be rainy mornings or lots of mornings where you wake up and say, like, what in the world did I sign up for that for? Like, like, why did I do that? That's that's just, that's going to be normal part of the brokenness of our human lives and how this all works. It's just, it's just part of it. And so this doesn't mean that every moment of serving, every opportunity, when it's raining on a Sunday morning and you'd rather stay in bed or whatever, and you're like, ah, like, it doesn't mean every time you have the opportunity, you're going to be skipping for joy. But what I can tell you is this. If you recognize that what you're serving with are your God-given gifts, that you're actually utilizing an expression of God's kindness to you, And if you do that with a sense, not of just like filling the post, but if your prayer to God is, God, in this moment, allow the life of Christ to be seen through me. I'm not here to just do my own deal. I'm not here for people to be impacted by me. But I want your life to be lived through me to enrich others. I can promise you. But the more that you integrate that into your mind, your heart, and your soul, you will actually experience joy. In fact, Jesus himself, even going to the cross, had joy because he knew he was walking in fulfillment of the Father's plan. He was going to give himself up. He was going to serve. And it actually gave him joy to do that. So, reckon, so using our gifts recognizes God's personal kindness. It it's, uh, undermines our personal autonomy. It's, it strengthens Christ's body. Verse 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, that the body of Christ might be strengthened. Ephesians chapter 4, verses four, verse 14. Then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. When you serve, the body of Christ is built up, it's strengthened. You know, last week I was talking to John Ciotta, and... I'm just so blessed by the number of children we have here at Southridge. And he said last week was just a particularly crazy week uh, between the kids over in the activity center and the kids uh, on our lower level where we have a lot of children. There was 180 kids 
first service alone on our campus in those areas. Friends, that's amazing. And let's just tell you where my mind goes with that. I realize that in our world, like kids have a tough time. We live in a sexualized culture. We live in a culture saturated with electronic communication, social media. Again, not all of those things are bad. Social media can be helpful in some ways. But I'm just so thankful that we have a ministry, not where we just kind of like sit kids in front of something and say, here, watch. But we actually have people who sit beside them, talk with them, interact with them, engage with them. I think there's entirely too many people who have too many complaints about our modern culture but don't necessarily step into the game to do something about it. And the reason we often don't is because we have this macro perspective of what really making a difference might include. And while like, to really make a difference, then I've got to be seen, then I've got to be invisible, then I've got to make a macro impact that's grander than what I can do. For most of us, for many of us, the gifts that God has given us are simply one-on-one, let me impact you, let me be present with you. I talked to somebody on the phone this week. Some people in our congregation are involved with this situation. And this woman just expressed to me her level of appreciation for ladies of Southridge sitting with her. Just the gift of presence. Friends, don't minimize just even the gift of presence. The gift of presence being here on a Sunday morning. The gift of presence... Being in, a, being in a group with small children, the gift of presence, sitting with somebody who's going through pain and suffering, the gift of presence is incredibly powerful. Last one, using our gifts recognizes God's personal kindness. It undermines our personal autonomy. It strengthens Christ's body. It strengthens us. Lastly, using our gifts catalyzes growth, both personally and corporately together. Verse 15 says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. It's really interesting the way this works because we often use these words, well, I've just got to tell you the truth or speak the truth in love. The word speaking actually isn't even part of that verse. Uh, Translators put it in there because it probably helps us understand But the way that verse literally reads is is simply this. Instead, truthing in love. Truthing in love. And so when we come together in an environment like this, we truth one another in love. When you are part of a group that gathers together, we truth one another in love. Sometimes I think about it this way. Uh, I'm took two years of Spanish in high school, and that's, I know, hola and goodbye, and goodbye isn't Spanish, but whatever that is, that's all I know, that's kind of like, I'm kind of like done, muy un poquito, that's, that's like a little more, Nick. Um, here's the deal, for, for you to kind of absorb the Spanish language, you need to be in a regular environment where Spanish is spoken, it's great to kind of learn, learn it from the book, But if you're really going to absorb the language, the best thing that you can do is put yourself in an environment 
where you actually need to speak it to others and you hear them speak it to you. That's kind of how you absorb language the best. The way that Christ is formed in us the best is, uh, trust me, I don't need to come to church. I don't need to be in a group because somehow I might forget what some verse of the Bible says. Like, I'm just not going to forget my theology. I just won't. But what I do forget to do is live it out. There's something about hearing someone else speak God's truth to me that somehow shapes so I, they probably aren't going to say something I never heard of. But there's something about just hearing them speak God's truth that is different and has an impact on me than me just knowing it in my head. So I'm part of midweek on Wednesday nights. We typically meet over in the activity center. We have a table, and I'd say weekly, as conversation happens around that table, somebody says something like, oh, like, like that's what I need. Like, that's what I need to be reminded of. Like, that's the truth that God needs to shape my soul. Thank you for truthing me in love. Like, wouldn't it be powerful if we as a church were just truth to one another in love? Truth to one another with, man, remember, this is who you are in Christ. Truthing one another in love. Maybe you're down, maybe you're defeated. Let me remind you that God's goodness is toward you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You knew that before you walked through these doors. You know that before you get into some group. But there's something about having somebody else speak that to you that catalyzes growth in your life. There's something about praying together and hearing somebody else pray that catalyzes growth in your life. Verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, just this incredible picture of how the body works, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, quite honestly, there's something very strange about that verse. I don't know if you pick it up or not, but but here's what I would kind of expect it to say. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and is built up by the Holy Spirit in love. That's what I would expect to read. And certainly, again, earlier in Ephesians, Paul is absolutely clear. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But notice actually, what, like, what does it actually say? It actually says it grows. And who built it, who built it up? It built itself. Like, that seems so weird to me. It seems like it should say, as God's Spirit builds it up. And that's theologically true. But what the verse does say is that the body, as it functions, as we serve one another, we actually build ourselves up. Like, like there's something about us serving one another that builds us up. Like, God's way of building us up is not waving the magical wand of his Holy Spirit. The way that God builds us up is we build one another up. It's incredibly natural. It's incredibly normal. It's incredible every day. It's not the sprinkling, the magic dust of the Holy Spirit. It's that as we, as each part of the body does its work, as we change our schedules to not simply get church in, but to actually exist together, 
as we dive into sacrificing our personal autonomy for others to serve them, the body of Christ builds itself up. And so there's something that strengthens us as we work together, as each part does its work. Whatever that work is, whether it's visible or not seen, whether it's celebrated or not celebrated, there's something about it that God's church is built up. I want to ask our team to come out, and we're going to sing the song, Jesus Paid It All. And the reason we're singing this is because Jesus did the ultimate act of service. And the reason that we serve is because we have a God who serves. Serving is woven into the fabric of who God is. It's what he does. And so as we serve, we take on a little bit of the person of Christ. We don't serve with our own strength. We don't serve as the pioneers of serving. We serve because Jesus served us in giving his life for us. He paid the price for our belonging to him. And so it's in response to his service to us that we as a church serve one another. And the body of Christ is built up and strengthened. So let's stand and sing this song together as we close. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Cause Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sin had 
left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow thank you for serving us thank you for breathing us into us your breath of life not just physically but spiritually may we follow after you may we may we be servants as you have served us thank you for the generosity of your kindness to us thank you that for the joy that comes from serving. May we be strengthened. May we be mature as a body because each part does its work. We ask this thing in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Our prayer team is down here to the right. We'd love to pray for you. Happy Memorial Day weekend, and God bless.